Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Cast and Crank Podcast. Today we have Bill Semental. Um, great episode. He kind of goes over a lot of stuff. He goes over uh, the Mike Hart thing, a little bit of Mike Long, the uh, Spro BBZ, uh, all kinds of fishing techniques. It's a great podcast. He kind of it's a long one, and it was a good phone interview. I really enjoyed this one. Um, thanks, guys, for listening. I got some ads, so what I want to do is try to support any tackle shop that's still open. And this week we have Save On Tackle. Uh, Save On is open curbside for pickups, uh, phone orders, or walk-ups. 10 to 4, Monday through Saturday, closed on Sunday. 562-864-2911. Again, 562-864-2911. Go support them. They're still open. They're trying to make it. Uh do what you can, man. I mean, take a little drive up there, go buy some stuff, and we'll have some other tackle shops. I'm trying to reach out to people as this goes along and see who's open and who's not and trying to help them if I can. Uh, another person, if you guys can go check out, um, he's a tattoo artist, but he's another friend of the podcast. It's going to be Charles, uh, which is Tattoona. Uh, he's still making paintings and shirts and stuff. So uh, check him out at www.kelpclothing.bigcartel.com. You could also go to his uh, IG and check out the link in his bio. You can get him that way. I'm sure if you DM him, also he, he'll be able to get a hold of you. You can get some stuff from him. Um, yeah, we got some good ones coming up. I think Troy Linder's next week. After that, I have Sly Guy Lures lined up, UFO Baits. And I think that's it right now. And then I hopefully, uh, once this is up, we'll try to bang one out right as, as uh, we get back to regular times. Hopefully it's soon. Hope everyone's staying safe. Uh, again, if you could do me a solid five stars on, um, uh, what the fuck am I thinking? I'm fucking, uh, I can't think right now. Sorry. It's Easter. Been pounding high lifes already. So, uh, five stars on iTunes. Check out the YouTube page. Subscribe if you like. I'm putting up some old episodes as we speak. And uh, see you guys next week. Thanks again for listening. Aloha was born in Hawaii, but the Aloha spirit holds no geographic boundaries. With Aloha as our foundation, Olukai takes a different approach to footwear. Olukai crafts only the highest quality shoes and sandals with premium materials and artistic story detail with a style, durability, and versatility for today's watermen and waterwomen who lead an active ocean-bound lifestyle. In fact, Olukai's water-friendly 
I'm going to try this. Nohia Maku slip-on shoe and ulele sandal are actually made to get wet. Instead of me talking, I'm going to uh, insert Benny. Benny Florentino is a guest of the podcast, and he has way more experience with this than I do. So I'd rather have you guys hear the truth than me try to give you something fake. Listen. You know, I've been fortunate enough to be an, uh, an ambassador for Olokai for the past five years. And, you know, they just came out with ulele. Uh, it's all-day comfort footbeds and the non-marking outer sole. So for those of you who have really expensive boats, they're not going to mark the sole up. And it's non-skid. That wet grip rubber outsole for great traction on wet surfaces, phenomenal. And they look good and comfortable. Whether you're loading up the boat with supplies at the dock, shoreline fishing from the rocks, or scoping out the best place to cast from the beach, Nohia Maku and Ulele is destined to keep you sure-footed with comfortable island style through every step of the journey. Shop or find your local retail at olukai.com. To support the podcast, go to www.olukai.com forward slash cast and crank. Please, guys, go. If you're going to buy a pair of sandals, just go out there and uh, get online and go to that link. It's going to help us a lot. Check it in the bio of the podcast. Thanks again for listening, guys. Domino's Pizza, can we take your order, please? <laughs> Man, what a great way to start the podcast. <laughs> oh, are we recording? You is betcha. this Nicholas? Yes, it is. And this is how we're going to start it. <laughs> Domino's Pizza. <laughs> um, this is my first uh, question. This is my first question for you, okay? You got a strong mustache. I got a strong mustache. No, I don't. I got a pretty weak one compared to most, but I'll I'll throw it out <laughs> hey, there. I'll say okay. It, it's solid. It's solid, you know? You know one another thing I have for you, a question? You're a fireman, correct? Yes, I am. Well, first of all, Nick, are we are we recording? Yeah. Oh, perfect. Yeah, we're recording. <laughs> I got to make sure that if you don't throw down anything crazy. Okay, no, go no, ahead. No, no, You're fireman, a fireman, right? Yeah. I've noticed that most firemen have like solid mustaches. Yeah. Right? A lot of them do. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of them do. <laughs> yes, they do. And that's I one thing the, I've noticed the about The reason behind it, well, actually, old school theories, um, when we used to, way back in the day, way before my time, the smoke eaters, mm-hmm. a lot of guys had big, you know, they didn't wear breathers back in the day. They smoked cigars. I worked with captains and stuff that uh, were old, old school. And uh, they had big mustaches, and it was kind of almost like a filter for them, too. Yeah. Kept a lot of stuff. And those were that was back in the day when uh, manscaping the uh, nose hairs, the defacting, <laughs> uh, wasn't uh, big on the list either because that helped a lot for keeping a lot of the stuff out. There you go. So, man. <laughs> uh, so just, just something that's uh, a little bit uh, different than the fishing part of it. But yeah, yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> Well, that's the thing is, is, is we do, we're just having my podcast. What I like to do is a conversation between two guys that like fishing and sometimes we get off topic and there'll be something funny, but, uh, just regular dudes talking. That's pretty much what the whole thing is behind the podcast. And, and, uh, how was this uh, COVID thing treated you? Did anything get canceled? You had planned? Pretty much everything for us. Uh, It's a little different because I'm kind of in the medical field too, being a fireman for, shoot, 30, it's over 31 years now um, in in the fire department and COVID's a a nasty, nasty little thing. And, but, you know, with everything, you know, I've been on long enough that I went through the H1N1 and SARS and, and uh, the, uh, uh, shoot, there's so many, there's so many 
you know, things that we've gone through being first responders that, uh, this is another one that my mom always says too, you know, this, this too will pass and it will be stronger for it as a, a country. You know, we've we got a lot of good people on, <clears throat> on the job right now, looking into trying to defeat this little thing. And, and within the fishing industry and fire department, you know, it's, surprisingly within fishing, there's a lot of people that care, you know, you hear a yeah. lot of stories now that fishermen are, you know, some of them weren't doing you know, the social distancing and, and that's absolutely not true. You know, you look at a lot of the fishermen, they all get it. And I'll give you one prime, prime example. All of our tournaments, everything's been canceled. Anything that, uh, you know, anything more than 10 groups of people and stuff, man, anybody who's ever fished a tournament, man, if you got within 25 yards, you got a lure thrown at you. I mean, (laughs) we we are the, we are the ultimate social distancing tournament format. Because yeah. if you got in our spot, there's going to be a big old swim bait being thrown at you, and everybody out there knows for a fact that that's the case. You know, <laughs> so. But um, you know, we got to play our parts and follow the rules, and and uh, there's a lot of a lot of states across the U.S. I'm doing a, a big thing for the kids right now, and there's a lot of states out there that are promoting getting outside. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, fishing social distancing um and it's a good thing you know as long as you do it responsibly and stuff so yeah that's yeah, that's how i take it too is i i kind of just said you know what as long as I, I i do a lot of calico fishing and spotted bay bass fishing so i'm like there you go. if i go in my boat by myself i feel like i'm doing my part i'm not fishing with anyone maybe my son but i live with them but right. other than that you know i think that's a pretty pretty solid thing you could still go by yourself and fish and i I seen ikanelli's doing that tournament where i think you fish against him i'm not sure how it works you know but it's just it's it's the same thing i'm doing with the kids tournament i've been doing it a lot of people are jumping on i've I've been doing the uh big bass zone junior championship for the teens for over a year now wow and uh, a lot of people are going oh great idea because i have parents call me across the entire u.s saying hey bill we're doing the right stuff. We're staying home. We're social distancing. We're, we're homeschooling our kids. Um, and you know, on the mental side of things, you know, cause it's a big, it's a big deal is, uh, getting out, you know, they're trying to get the kids out and doing stuff and being active. And, uh, there's a lot of crossover States, uh, right now that there's, there are no crowds and the kids get, get out fishing. So I have a lot of parents and a lot of teens right now fishing the tournament because you're fishing a national tournament yeah. and you're not being elbows with anybody and you still have a shot. I'm going to have probably close to over 400,000 this year, wow. you know, again, for the kids with uh, scholarships to Bethel and new bass cat boat and trips to the Amazon and Mexico again with uh, Chapman and the, you know, the list goes on and on and on. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of opportunities right now and I see a lot of other people jumping on that same type of concept because, why not? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're doing responsibility and man, I mean, the parents have it hard enough because when they go to the store to get stuff, the Mm -hmm. infamous no toilet paper place, (laughs) there's more of a chance of having something happen there than walking down offshore and not seeing anybody within a hundred yards of you. And there's no solid surfaces for this stuff to, you know, sit on and you can catch it. So it's just being responsible and playing smart, you yeah. know, and that it, it'll, it'll pass. Yeah. This, this is going to be passed and we're going to be better for it. No, definitely. And, uh, 
So let's get into the the fishing a little bit. And uh, I have a lot of people that like swim baits. And I think a notorious swim bait that everyone pretty much starts out with was uh, your bait, the Spro, the BBZ, right? Part of it. I mean, there's a lot of history. It's uh, interesting. One of my best friends, Derek Stewart. Yeah, Derek's a great guy. Oh yeah, he speaks yeah. very highly of you and what you've done, and <laughs> and um, there's there's not a lot of people that know the. It, it's interesting how far swim baits go back, and the sad part is is a lot of people, it to be a real student of the game should go back into the history books. And uh, man, the swim baits have been around. I mean, the swim baits were around way longer than I built the Spro BBZ. You know, by 15, 20 years, actually 100 years. You know, they were doing these swim baits back in the 80s, you know, 1800s and early 1900s, um, if you understand the history behind it and where it happened. And crazy thing is a lot of people, I think you might be actually the first one. I, I know Derek always asked me about the history of it, and a lot of people don't. But, uh, man, the starting out part of it was old wood plugs that we were taught how to uh, kind of make out of wood ores up a pyramid in the mid 80s and uh prior to that it was big squid jigs with uh, three different color marks a lots with the red black and green with uh, sassy shads that my dad used to buy back east because we had a, a swap meet business selling sporting goods mm-hmm. and in the 70s you know and this is a lot of the stuff the old j plugs um the the big mac lures um, some of the uh, depth raiders uh, for musky fishermen. A lot of this stuff pre predated most of anything these guys were doing here on the West Coast for a long time. And then you, you came around with the the Worm King back in the day, and that started. And then I wanted to do a fat body boot tail swim bait, so I I worked with a guy named Pete Cormier, who's phenomenal. He was with Deadly Duo Baits, and I carved up a uh, fat bodied boot tail and uh was working on that walking the shores when i was a kid at cast eight catching big fish on it and mm-hmm. then you know cast eight came around um i worked with uh, sean donovan with the optimum and helped him with the optimum swim bait um actually had sean down at the lower lake gosh a long time ago when he was uh i actually had him tie on one of the uh, baits i made with pete cormier and uh, it was called a bite me bait i mean this is like I said, this is precursor everything. <laughs> and told him, uh, you're going to catch your biggest fish of your life right now. And he, he catches a 13-something um, right off shore. And uh, shortly after that, we kind of worked together a little bit and made the optimum. And that thing took off. And then, uh, like I said, Cast 8 came around and then Huddleston. And and then through all that, for all the people, Rago, everybody, you know, everybody was jumping on Matt. Everybody was jumping on swim baits um, at the time and building their own concepts and ideas. And um, I know uh, Tim Norman from Spro came up to me. I, I'm thinking early 2000s and said, hey, what's the biggest deal about swim baits? Why, why isn't it not taken off as much as it should? Why is it still just more of a West Coast thing? And I said, it's price point. Just trying to get yeah. worm baits out there. And, you know, the, the guys who knew the history, my dad was doing wood plugs. And he sold them to guys like, you know, Butch Brown and, you know, uh, Jeff um, Manning and all these guys down at the Lower Lake way back in the day. And some of the damn wood plugs out of wood, you know, table legs, you could almost get 300 bucks for it. 
And so it was, it was <laughs> just a, it was such a different time frame and supply and demand. Yeah. And when you, you know, going back east to the Bubba's, you know, the, the great phenomenal fishermen, but um, it's really hard to swallow swallow a concept and a pill that cost you know 150 to 300 bucks so when i kind of jumped on board with spro tim i told him and kataro and um at the time it was michael murphy uh was one of my guys that i'd work with i said hey if we do this let's we need to do something durable um that catches fish that has the right concept and, and we gotta bring that price point down under 30 bucks and uh, they said I was a fool, but I was able to pull that off with the BBZ. And, you know, a lot of controversy on that. It was like anything. You build something and people say you cheat and steal and lie and take. And, and it's just part of the game. Mm -hmm. I get it. But in one aspect, it did open up a door across the board um, where anglers across the U.S. Now you're looking at Texas and Alabama and Florida and Georgia and you know all the way. I mean, I did TV shows all the way up to Maine, where people are more willing to uh, take a shot to try big baits and find out the concept with bigger baits catch bigger fish on the average, mm -hmm. and uh, and it, it's gone from there. And now you see guys even with rat baits and everything else. A lot of this stuff through history, if we didn't open up the doors and start trying to tear down the the walls of state lines. Um, guys wouldn't be selling swim baits like the bull shad or anything else. They wouldn't be selling all these baits across multiple states' lines lines now. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting history and interesting time um, that, shoot, my, my gosh, my first wood plug, I remember sitting with that. I was in 1985. Wow. It's in the book. <clears throat> it was in the book. I have a picture of it in the Big Bass on book I uh, wrote with Jones. And, um, that was 1985 and we were doing stuff prior to that, you know? So yeah, just really cool, cool how, history times. And how much involvement did you have? So like when you're designing that bait, when you're helping design the bait, what it, uh, was that the first of it, of its type that multi-jointed, you know, the look of that? No, bait? no. I mean, there's, I mean, people throw it out there and it's interesting. Like I said, a lot of people, a lot of people shoot and throw stuff out there. Um, <laughs> like you know copying and everything else and i get it you know but a lot of very very few people have ever come to the source a lot of people are have accusations but you know i mean the first true multi-segment swim bait that had anything was i think it was um god let me get the it might have been like the true motion lure or something mm -hmm. so they had a a lure out there as a, a five section swim bait that had hydrodynamic uh, capabilities that swam without a bill and stuff so one of them were usually you know that was technically one of the first multi-jointed ones and then rago came out with one the tool and then i came out with one bunch of controversy on that i mean that goes back to you know that the hate club which why <laughs> never did a lot of stuff and if anybody ever really looked at the history of swim baits and so that's why I never really promoted in California. I never hung out around a lot of guys because I was still more about catching big fish and doing things on a different path, you know, a long, <clears throat> a long-term path for other reasons. Um, but uh, no, you know, Rego came out with the multi-joint one. Um, I think, I don't know if it was, 
Ken's old partner, Jason or something, a decoy or something. I, I think there were some other swim baits that came out uh-huh. uh, right afterwards. I think, is it Whitmore or whatever with the triple trout? Yeah. Um, Matt from, uh, is it Matt Gills or something? There's been so many through the years, but other guys all started coming out with multi-jointed baits um, and then making their own style or variations and stuff. And and with that, with competition, you know, people will point fingers and throw stuff. But the hard part is the few people that will actually want to know the truth or what's really behind it, they're the ones that go to the source, you know, like Derek. Derek was a good friend of mine years ago. <laughs> I don't know if he ever told you the story, but I'm <clears throat> I'm an ass. You know, when I fish tourna- <laughs> when I fish tournaments, it's like it, I, I'm really into competition and the mental <laughs> aspect of it and fishing. And I'm more about trying to look through the eyes of the bass. I fish different. I don't look through the eyes of my competition of the fishermen because most of them all have their own agendas. So when I fished tournaments and stuff, I was very quiet. I didn't say a lot of stuff, especially around California. No matter what you said, you know, you're a cheater, liar, thief, you know, robber, you know, molester. It was just is what it is, part of that that system. And one thing that I, I, I if you don't mind me asking, cutting you off. Um, no. You, If you don't mind talking about this, I, I could take it out. You had a partner. Was it Mike Hart? Oh, yeah. Okay, so the yeah. cool thing is. I heard that you were asked to take like a, a lie detector test to say, Hey, I, I had no I volunteered. You did. And, oh yeah. So here's cause I had, I, I had Billy Egan. Is that the same story when Billy Egan was that the, the Mike Hart story? I don't know if I heard Billy's stuff. Um, but I have no problem. Like I said, anybody that wants to ask me like legit, not rumors or hearsay or yeah. that, from 50 other friends that sat down at dinner and heard me say it verbatim, which, which I have very few friends, especially in fishing, because like I said, most of them, it, the ego and stuff. But what happened was I fished with Hart for like 12 years. Mm-hmm. We dom, we kicked ass. I think, you know, if you go way back in the record books, I think we won 12 back-to-back tournaments. Wow. And, you know, three or four angler of the years um, in one season. But uh, Mike was a phenomenal fisherman. He didn't need to do what he did. Um, so things happen with, with guys and teams, like always. So we kind of separated. And I ended up starting fishing with uh, Troy Linder, Al Linder's son. Mm-hmm. And um, back in like 87, 88, going into 89, um, I was nominated for the Hall of Fame. And so, which controversy there. So I got in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> I was fishing with Troy Linder. And next thing I know, I get a call. I think it was from George Kramer or something. He said, hey, your boy, Hart, just got caught cheating at the U.S. Open. And I go, bullshit. I'm like, no way. What year was not, this again? Mike. What year was this? Was, I think it was like 2009. I okay. go, no way. I go, that's it's just, just it's, it's bullshit. I go, his co-angler. I mean, you could even talk to him. I said, it's, it's got to be his co-angler. Mike wouldn't do this. So the next day came around, and um, I ended up calling Mike. Never got it. I've never talked to so she, so everybody knows. Man, I tri- once I heard this, I tried to call Mike, and he never even picked up his phone. It just yeah. it just nothing. It was just bad, like son of a bitch. And then I saw, then I saw the sinker with the hook on it, and with the hook with the whip finish, the way the line was tied and stuff. I did stuff way back in the day pre 
anybody, there's a few people that know Hart and Zank and uh, Steve Davies were, I used to use scrounger heads way back in the day and they had the wrong hook. And I used to cut hooks off cause I didn't have molds. I was a poor man fisherman. <laughs> I would take gamagats to thin wire hooks and lay them over top of old galvanized hooks and take four pound test line and whip finish hooks on top of hooks and build new hooks. And you hit them with super glue and I was doing stuff way different, like, just crazy stuff. Yeah. And when I saw how that hook was stationed on the sinker, I went, oh, shit, Mike knows that. I was like, oh, crap. So I turned around and fishing with Al Linder, son, Troy, um, I had a lot on the line. So I turned around and uh, called up Al and said, hey, um, I'm calling up uh, Harvey Newsland from One Bass, and um, I know I know this is bad, and I fished with Mike for many years. And the way California anglers and big bass anglers and everything else, pretty much you're guilty. Anything, anything that they could throw at somebody, um, that's just what happens. So I said, "Hey, I'll volunteer." So I called Newsland and said, "I'll volunteer for a polygraph." And they go, "Nope, nope, nope. We." We're looking to bring three guys in for a polygraph, and um, you don't have to worry about it. And I said, okay, it's out there because being in the Hall of Fame and fishing with Al Linder's son and stuff, I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I said, I have nothing to hide. I said, very, a lot of people hate me, but I said, I have nothing to hide. I'll, I'll put it all on the line. And he goes, nope. <clears throat> and like three weeks later, Harvey called up and said, hey, uh, are you still willing to do a polygraph? because no one's going to do it. And I go, what do you mean no one? And he goes, well, we put up a thing out to uh, Zank and, and Mike, and they both said no. And I said, I have no problem with that. And uh, got a call from the FBI about a week later, and they said, hey, we want to schedule an appointment. I said, no problem. My captain and chief at the fire station said, hey, Bill, we hear what's going on. It's all over the Internet. Um, if you go down and do a polygraph and you fail – you'll be fired from the fire department. Oh my God. And he said, this is bigger than just your fishing career. This is your fire department career. Cause if you get caught, if it's cheating or anything else, I have an oath. <clears throat> and I said, I totally understand. And, uh, not going to kid anybody. I was shitting bricks. <laughs> like, I because was like, if you think about it, if know, someone just asked me, you know, interrogate you, Anyone that asks you something to tell the truth, even even if you if you are telling the truth, you still get nervous. Right? Yeah, no, that's that's the whole part of it, right? Yeah, and it, it's different. Like I said, a lot of the guys that have thrown stuff at me and called me a cheater, a liar, a thief, and all that other stuff, it's part of human na nature. Guys, you know, especially fishing guys and big fish guys, we're all wing nuts, but. <laughs> I know that I'm the only one that's ever laid my nuts out on the line for my entire career, not just in fishing, but with my entire career with the fire department too. This, this is everything. Yeah. I laid it all out on the line. So, uh, they went down and, um, I showed up at the, uh, the FBI thing. I think it was Burbank or whatever. And it was the guy that, uh, did the OJ trial and everything. So it was legit. You know, there was a bunch of FBI guys out front and sheriffs and fire department and, they're all getting their their backgrounds done, and if they fail, they don't get on the job. So uh, I walked in, and I sat down, and uh, they pulled out three polygraphs. 
three. <laughs> and one was for Mike Hart, one was for uh, John Zank, and the other one was for Mike Long. And I went, what? And uh, <clears throat> pretty much uh, Harvey Newsland came in and and called him up on the phone and said, hey, we, we have three polygraphs we wanted somebody to do, and if you don't mind, we take all three of them. And I went, holy crap. And uh, signed my name to a piece of paper to make it legit in a court of law um, for the polygraph to count. And it was like 150 questions. And whoever wrote the questions, I still don't know to this day, whoever wrote the questions for for Hart and Mike Long and everybody else, they were some humdingers. And uh, I sat there and I I did a polygraph for three, over three hours. I think it was almost three and a half hours. And... um, Harvey called and Emmett Brown called from the Hall of Fame and Al Linder called right afterwards and and I passed. I you know I, I laid it out on the line and um, it, it was just a, a very it was a sad day bleak day for the fishing industry because like I said Mike I fished with him he was he was just a phenomenal phenomenal bass fisherman. Why he was it? Can, can you hear me right now, Bill? Can you hear me? What's that? Can you hear me right now? A little bit, yes. Okay. Why was uh, Mike Long involved? So from what I understand at the time, um, there's a lot of things happening with uh, some tournaments, uh, accusations of transporting fish and caging fish and just just, just a lot of what people throw out there. And um, it was all in the polygraph. It had everything from hiding fish in live wells and boats to caging fish and tying fish off to the strings and using trout during tournament to catch big fish. And it was just, it was the same things, even shoving down weights in a fish, just like they had for, for Mike, which is a lot of the legit questions and answers um, they're looking for. And um, I guess they one bass, no, not one bass. Yeah. One bass. And I think it was national bass at the time. They had some people complain about uh, long and um, I, I just I found myself in a pickle sitting down. And since I already volunteered to come down on my behalf uh, because I fish with uh, Mike Hart, and since I was a big fish guy, that uh, I thought it would be not a smart move to get up and walk out. Um, since Mike, you know, Long had such a career at the time of what he said he was doing, that uh, I just sucked it up and I took everybody's polygraph. And, uh, so yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a very bleak time. I think it put a big, big stain. That was one of them, but big stain on the fishing industry and big fish fishing too, you know, on, on one aspect of it. So and I don't think anybody else has ever put their, their entire career on the line doing a polygraph. So it was, it was interesting. And that was 2009. That was some interesting, interesting times. Did you, uh, have you talked to Mike Hart since? Like, are you still friends never. with him? Never, <clears throat> never, never. I, I, like I said, the day George Kramer called me and said, "Hey, your boy just got caught cheating," and I said, "No way." Um, I tried to call, and that was the last time. And I never, I never heard. So I don't know how many years that been ten, fifteen years. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I don't. I haven't heard from, him, haven't seen him. Nothing nothing and like i said it's probably one of the saddest days because i fished with mike he was 
he was legit just a phenomenal he was a good stick he didn't need to do what he he did he, was, why, he was that good fisherman and that's why i'm asking you if you talked to him because maybe he had a reason behind it like no cheating's never allowed and i don't back it but what if he had some kind of financial burden or who knows you know what i'm saying just to know hey man you fucked up well, that's sorry you know yeah yeah and, and here's what i've learned through 30 years of bass fishing and you know big fish fishing and everything else the crazy part is and this is why if you really go back and look at my history for all the big fish and during the time frame i i really didn't do a lot of promotion here in my area on the west coast i worked with guys like spence petros and steve panaz for north american fishermen kirk beckstrom um the guys over you know steve quinn over an in fisherman i worked with a lot of people outside of the west coast california because it was such a drama fest it was people were doing everything for the wrong reasons and when i say that what happens is when you try to be the best at something and you want you have to you have to be the best what happens is everybody's going to have a bad day everybody's gonna hit a lull uh, a low point in their in their life and career and good people suck it up and say hey i'm just having a, a bad time people that are looking at it with egos and other other things going on in their life they end up doing whatever they have to do to be the best so when you look at a lot of these people that are they have to be the best. They have to have every lake record. They have to win every tournament. They have to do this. They, ha Man, you're going to find them doing whatever they can to always be in the limelight. And and that's just part of it. So I know Mike was uh, looking at trying to become a pro and do the pro thing and bass fishing. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure that people put on themselves, um, right or wrong. You know, they, they put a lot of pressure on themselves to be the best at something and um they do bad stuff so yeah. nothing mike could have said to me mike hart nothing he could have said is an excuse of what he did on that because he not only like crushed a phenomenal career what mike had himself but he put a lot of people that backed him and you know yeah. friends and everything like me he they it puts us all on, you know, you almost don't want to get close to people and help them because you just don't know their true motives. And, um, and that's sad. It's just, it's like I said, it, it puts a big black eye on the industry and giving credit for people that do good is one thing. A lot of people won't do that. Um, if somebody does bad, you, you know, they're all going to come after you. If you do well at something and it's not going to benefit somebody else, you're a liar or a cheater. I mean, fishing, it's, it's weird. It's just like life. <laughs> There's a we're a bunch of wingnuts out there. The, um, uh, um, so it's it's just an interesting interesting times. Just crazy crazy things have happened. And Nicholas, I kid you not, <laughs> it's it's just the beginning because in life there's going to be more. You're going to see more crazy stuff happen. Just people people do crazy things. And so do you do you feel like by Mike doing that, like later on in your career and and after that, do you feel like you you were accused a little more because you fish with the guy that did that. I know everybody. The hard part is, is I've, I'm very competitive in fishing and I've, and I've done very well and I've done very bad too. I've, I've, I've sank. I mean, I've, I've swung for the fences and just, you know, hit rock bottom and, and failed. 
Um, no matter what you do, if you if you do succeed, there's a lot of jealousy in the industry. There's a lot of jealousy just in life. You know, that's where the hate, the word hater comes from. No matter what you do, good or bad, people are going to hate you. Now, for me, what what Mike did, um, will people come back at me? That was the first thing when I heard that Mike che- cheated and knowing who I was fishing with, who I was hanging around with, with Al Linder and, you know, I'm looking at people that are very, very well respected in the industry, mm-hmm. and I've always tried to put myself around good people because you're only as good as the people you hang around with. I did not hang around with a lot of the big bait guys down here because you're only good as <laughs> the people you hang around with, and it doesn't take much to sit back and see motives of real motives, you know, behind the scene if you're if you're honest with yourself. So that was why I went and I I did a polygraph. And, and in doing that, all those naysayers, they could say whatever they want. Put your ass on the line. Yeah. Go down there and I'll give you the same 150 questions that I took for three other three other guys in the industry. I, t- I took them. I laid. I, and it's not just like, hey, you're going to you know look bad and fishing. Whatever job you have, it's gone, too. Like you, you're going to lose everything. And maybe maybe people didn't know that. I mean, that's that's a crazy you know, uh, repercussion to like, if you did, if you would have failed, you would have lost your livelihood. You know, that's, that's, that's pretty I, wild. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I started as a, I wanted to be a fireman when I was shit, like 10 years old. I was an explorer. I was living at a fire station when I was 13. I got 38 years in a firehouse. I was, a, I was an explorer from 13 to 18. Wow. So I've always, <clears throat> That was a career profession move that I wanted to do when I was little because I knew if I was a fireman, I'd have a good good job, and I'd get time off so I could fish and hunt because I did a lot of that with my dad. That was that was the thing. So a lot of people don't know, and, that, and that's the crazy thing is there's a lot of stories and accusations on me and other people, and every person that's out there that hides behind a computer screen because they're a troll or says shit about somebody, um, you really have to look at them as a person and say – well, have you even talked to that guy? Have you ever actually sat down and talked to him, or you listen to somebody else that just hates the guy? Guy, because if somebody just hates somebody, they're going to make up all kinds of shit. No, I you agree one hundred percent. I mean, I don't anyone I've had on the podcast. I mean, some people go, "This guy's an asshole." That guy's. I don't take it until I meet him. So if I meet someone and they're great to me, that's the perception I get from them, you know. And I I don't like to judge anyone until I meet them. And I feel feel like that's a that's a good thing most, to have. Most you know? common people do that. That's yeah. why I like you know I, I give so much respect to Derek. You know, <laughs> Derek Stewart. <laughs> like I said, when he first met me, he he got me at the right time after a tournament. I was already out of my destroying win. You know, do whatever <laughs> I can to to do the best I can. And he asked me a ton of questions at the Upper Lake, and he took notes. And the guy was freaky because literally a month later he came back and he was the only person, very few people ever talked to me. So nobody really knew me, <laughs> but he was the only person that came back and re asked me questions that he says, Hey, you said this. And he said it verbatim and it scared the shit out of me. I'm like, Whoa, <laughs> this guy's going to try to kill me. <laughs> Ooh, I'm like going, Whoa, like I, I, I said this, but I don't have a lot of people that actually listen, you know? 
And right after that, I was like, going, hey, this this guy's legit. And, and, and everybody, a lot of people, it is funny to this day, Nicholas. I mean, I have a lot of people that come up to me and talk. They literally come up and talk to me now and they go, well, Bill, you're actually pretty cool, you know, because I thought you're an <laughs> asshole for all these years. And I always laughed at him and I said, but you never talked to me all those years you thought I was an asshole because you heard you heard stuff from other people that just hate me for, yeah. for whatever reason. So so if I can give a good word of advice for and, and you said it too, for all the people in swim bait fishing or fishing in general and everything else, before you take somebody else's word from anything, because ninety nine percent of it's all bullshit, just go talk to the person themselves and make your own decisions. It actually might be a better world we live in, and there might be more knowledge being handed out, good knowledge, to build an industry that our kids and grandkids and stuff can can thrive in instead of worrying about, man, if I succeed, somebody's just going to do whatever they can to knock me off, you know, off my little perch that I'm on right now. So interesting. Yeah. Like I said, it's life's an interesting thing, but <laughs> it's consistent. I tell you what, it's consistent. Um so let's get back to the fishing part. Uh, I watched your videos a while ago when I when I first bought a, uh, a Spro BBZ, and okay. uh, they're like very. You're calling out the shots, you know, yeah. when you're filming. How how did you go about learning the whole big bait thing? Were you fishing the same time as some of the other guys, like with Butch around the same areas, not maybe with him, but at the same time he was? Like, how did you learn? about the whole big bait swimming when it started getting bigger when you're going after your big you have a 19 pounder right uh 1975 at the lower lake yeah. yeah um to tell you the truth honestly like i said very few people know my my history um i was doing i was doing stuff way before all those guys played the game all way way before those so like like history back way back in the day at the lower lake um dad and i would be down there we fished out of a a 14 foot aluminum boat mm -hmm. we we didn't have much we we actually hunted and caught fish for food you know we were you know never we didn't have much but we had a, a lot as a family fishing and hunting yeah so when they planted trout you can only get on the lower lake cast steak like friday saturday sunday electric only that was the deal. And dad would troll across the lake with a, a needlefish or a little Phoebe or a cast master. And I was getting more and more into, I wanted some big fish. My first big fish that started it was we were fishing all day long and uh, dad, you know, being out with pops and throwing food at each other and just miserable. <laughs> and I got yelled at because I left the top off of the night crawlers and they all dried up. And, uh, we stopped at the dock, and I there was one night crawler that was kind of long, but it was dried. It was a piece of leather, and I put it on a hook, and I ran out on shore. I threw it underneath the dock. I looked at my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm on. And he's like, you're stuck, kid. And I'm like, no, Dad. And he goes, well, stop bullshitting me. <laughs> and uh, I ended up catching an eight-and-a-half pounder. Wow. And that was, my first, that was my first big fish. And then um, a couple years later, mind you, my dad, his biggest fish at the time was eight-and-a-half pounds from handsome dam so he goes kid you'll never at eight years old he said enjoy this you'll never catch another big fish in your life 
And then uh, I went down to Thrifties and ended up catch, getting a bunch of packs of their four and five and a pack of Mr. Twister smoke sickle tails. And I was split shotting them at the lower lake. And there's a bunch of uh, swimmers out there, and I threw it out in April, and boom, I ended up catching a, a 11, 11, no, a 12 one. Wow. And uh, that was the next big fish. And then um, Dad and I, before work, we'd go to Cast Steak and run down the dock, and I throw out a three hook Rapala across the surface and caught a 10 six off the surface at four in the morning. And, and what happened is through this time, still my dad has never caught a big fish. Are you, you know, uh, so, are you eating the fish just because you um, had to, I mean, those, those big fish, there was a guy named Bill something. And those are the ones back in the, the days where you did skin mounts. Mm-hmm. So the 10, six, 11, two and 12, two were all mounted wow. uh, because my dad said you would never in my life. <laughs> and I caught one split shot in a top water. And then I caught one on a crappie jig. You know, I caught an 11, 11, 6 on a crappie jig um, in April. Yeah. And they were all in a month or so. So we had those mounted. The other fish, we didn't catch a lot of big fish, you know, but the other fish we caught, um, like if they were, they were five pounders, largemouth, I mean, we're talking about in the 70s and 80s. Yeah, it was food. We yeah. did eat them. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot changed through the years with catch and release and stuff. But when you said back in the day with the other guys – you know, where were they at? I was trolling when I was a teen. I put on lead line and I was trolling in 1985, the wood plugs when other guys like Butch and, uh, uh, Mark and those guys would be, uh, Manning, Jeff down there at the lower lake. And a lot of them were fishing crawdads and whatever other baits, so water dogs and they're anchored up and dad and I, dad would be trolling for trout. And he'd look at me and he goes, what are you doing? Why are you trolling that big bait? And I'm like, no, no, I'm going to catch a big one. And he just shake his head and goes, you're a fool. <laughs> and I remember going to sleep and I remember going past Butch and all the guys uh, anchored up on the hump and I was falling asleep. And I swear my dad like took the rod and was messing with me. And uh, I said, stop it. And he's like, what? And I was like, oh, I'm stuck. And I was like, oh, there's a 10-pounder. And I was, you know, I was leadlining an old wood plug I designed in, like, 1985. I was catching them four colors deep at the lower lake, leadlining, kind of spoon plugging. Mm-hmm. I was a teenager. Wow. So this, these, this precursed all that. And that fish right there, I was like, oh, okay. Now, because the only thing we always threw swim baits for, and the reason why we did it, is the stripers started taking off that pyramid back in the late 70s, early 80s. So we were going up there with the big, big max and using an ounce and a half vinyl jigs with uh, sassy, sassy uh, shad tails. My dad was getting from Florida way back in the day and painting them rainbow color and um, the big pencil poppers. So we took those swim baits and stuff that we're using stripers, and I started throwing them for bass at Castake. So that's how my history kind of turned around. And then once that happened, once I caught that 10 lead lining the wood plug, man, it opened up the floodgates. <laughs> I'd go down a door, and like I said, there were no other swim baits. So I was throwing big sassy shads, and I'd sit offshore with big ocean rods at the time, big, big spinning reels and eight foot rods and I, people laugh at me and I'm, you know they're saying he's in a long place he should be down the ocean 
And I'd throw out baits and I started doing the rate of fall, that whole concept. You know, I'd count baits down because my dad hated because I'd always be one, two, three. <laughs> so I was with either a crappie jig or a big swim bait and uh, figure out rate of falls and figure out a depth because we didn't have electronics back in the day. And um, I started walking the shoreline and watching watching fish and and i did other stuff too like i said i my boat after the the aluminum 14 foot aluminum guys who know me my next boat that i fished out of a lot uh was a nine foot sea eagle blow-up boat that i fished out of the upper lake cast Lake and the lower lake wow and i'd either go crawdad fishing or i would lead line um swim baits in the 80s and early 90s in a blow-up boat and I remember Harry the Hat Joris, and a lot of guys forget him. He was the hat trick plug. You know, a lot of you know these younger kids forget like true OG guys. But I remember Harry being out there in the lake, and I was in a blow up boat, and said, "Hey, do you mind if I troll by you?" And he's like, "Sure," laughing. And I said, "I'm going to catch a big one here." And he goes, "Yeah, right." <laughs> and the, the first troll, I had an eight that I passed. I went up and waited, came down. Asked him if I go by him again. I did again. Got eight and a half, a ten, and a twelve and a half. And then shortly after that, I ended up buying a fourteen foot uh, Terry and uh, Terry hat, and I fished a couple tournaments together. So we did that throwing swim baits, and that's where the worm king came. Uh, worm king came in, and and then um, I think that was even pre uh, Sean Donovan with the Optimum. Mm-hmm. Worm King came in, and then we were doing the big sassy shads. And then guys forget um, with all the stuff with the Rujo and all that, you know, the the Ronalski came out. Um, man, it's just like I said, there's so much history. But a lot of the guys way back in the day for Cast Ake, uh, Gary Harrison, maybe he was more of a crawdad fisherman. Krupe was always throwing bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, a lot of those guys were all thrown bait because that was the big deal at the time of throwing crawdads. And then as the swim bait started coming around and then uh, Huddleston or uh, Cast Ake started coming out and, and uh, working with other TNT wood plug, you know, and that was when, uh, was it uh, Dana? No. Yeah, it was Dana and Talk. Um, end up catching like a seven fish limit or six fish limit for like 60 something pounds. Oh, my gosh. I guess see this. And that's when, right, early 90s, and then that's when... Oh, you know what's this- so funny? Uh, I had someone reach out to me about Dana, I think, because he works with either Dana or one of the guys. I'm not sure who, but he works with one of them. Okay. I'm not sure, because he's like, you ever, you know who this is? And it was that 60-pound, it was a picture of that 60-pound bag, you know? Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's that's interesting. I'd, be, I'd love to hear about that, you know? But yeah, that, was that, phenomenal. That, yeah. Uh, I was fishing with a guy named Danny Gillespie. We were houseboating up at New Maloney's when that tournament went down at Casitas. And I think it was Todd Holder. You know, and these are, I mean, t- some of the names I'm telling you, like people forgot, like really the, the true pioneers of like swim baiting and stuff. But Todd was laughing. Like, I think he had like a 30, 35 pound limit early. And he said he'd throw out a, a you know one of the old wood plugs or TNT plug or whatever, and he's eating a sandwich laughing, and he's got 12-pounders eating, eating his bait. <laughs> and he goes, I got a 30-something pound limit. Nobody's going to – I mean, it was unheard of. And then he gets whooped by like a 60-pounder. Oh. And uh, um, But 
shortly after that, and this is what happens in most things. I think Alan came out with the AC plug, um, went to Arborgas to get it actually like mass produced mm-hmm. at a, a smaller price point. Then here comes all the papers that everybody's copying everybody else, and the threats come out and <laughs> the craziness. And what year just, was that when that happened? What's that? What year was that? Gosh, that had to be. I'm thinking it's like 92 or something. It was in the early 90s, I believe, when uh, Arborgaster came out with the AC. And, and then, you know, and then you got to remember, like, I was still doing, shoot, it was it was 85. I mean, Dad and I were doing stuff at Pyramid and, and Cass Steak, and I started taking the, the woods up to Casitas. And I, I think I started really fishing the, the tournaments, and that's when I hooked up with uh, Pete Kermier. And I always give credit where credit's due. I'm not the other guy. Um, Dan, oh, what's Dan's name? He did the um, Torah tubes. Uh, Dan, oh, I, f- I feel bad for getting his last name. <laughs> Great guy. We always competed <laughs> competed against each other. <clears throat> and he did that. And then uh, Pete Cremier started doing these big, big tubes and from Deadly Duo. And that was in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And I turned around and I called up Pete and I met with them and started to design the uh, big tiger tube, big ones. I mean, I had them from eight to 12 to 14 to 16 inches and started going at Casitas and learning the tubes. And um, I know I was one of only very few, very few that ever really understood the tubes and the power of it. And I, I caught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish over 10 on the tube back in the day and that was in the early 90s as well you know and then shoot you get jay poor working with uh, bruce over there from bastrix and they came out with tubes so like i said there's a lot of lot of incredible history with big baits swim baits tubes woods um back in the day that went from illusion baits that were eh, kind of as a round plug that kind of looks like something to you started getting into the higher, higher detail with the Rego baits and the Huddlestons and mm-hmm. this, the, you know, what I was doing with Spro and Matt and everybody else. Um, a lot of them switched from illusion type of baits that could have been any type of swim bait to uh, more realistic stuff. So, yeah, just just really crazy, cool times. And it's just sad that nobody's really sat down and got truthful, truthful history and give credit to the right people because I, like I said, I think um, I think we'd all be off in a better place. Yeah, if um, people did what you said, you know, go and talk to the source and uh, have data to support it. You know, come back and around and, and support it. But uh, yeah, it just I, I I think I think we'd be so far ahead, and especially with big stuff across the you know state lines. Yeah, There's yeah, a lot a lot of stuff missing. Every time I go travel across the U.S. and I see these opportunities, even from Florida to to Maine to to the, you know crossover states in the, the mid U.S., man, there there's opportunities out there for mongo mongo big fish on everybody's swim baits, throw baits, mass baits, bullshad, you name it. Um, but I don't think people are teaching, and that's where it goes back into the video what you're talking about. Yeah. And we took a while to get to it, but I look at things, there's so much more. And I got to give the biggest credit to a buddy of mine, um, we haven't talked in a long time, but Mike Jones. 
we did a video back in like 2005 or actually before that it was at diamond valley and um when it first opened up and we we're talking about swim baits so there's some old stuff on my youtube I, channel i've i watched that i've okay. seen that one yes because it's old that, but it was really low too right yes yes that okay was, yes it was that's when the video it was first opened it. up yes, yes. <laughs> but that's pre if people really looked at that that was directional change milk runs figure eights lob cast you know the hop pop and skip the you know the the real set all that stuff was pre pretty much anybody talking swim baits back in the day you know I'll, I'll way back and i remember jones we were going down the dam and some of it's in the video that i, I put a i put an ass whooping on him <laughs> i mean it was just and i'm saying all you have to do is do this well he, he finally looked at me and goes, hey, knucklehead. He goes, you're giving me A and you're giving me Z. He goes, there's a whole alphabet in between it. And he goes, if you're going to really explain something to somebody, be a teacher. Give them the whole alphabet. And I didn't tell him that when I was dropping the bait down, I didn't have my thumb on the line at all. And I'm a visualist, so I could see, I understand what baits do underwater. I understand what shadows do underwater. I understand what fish do underwater. So the difference on a slide and having a bait fall at a 45 compared to a straight 90 on a boot tail gives a different thump and kick and reaction. And that little bit of him holding his thumb on the spool and doing a 45-degree drop instead of a 90 was the difference of big fish every cast. Wow. So I always give him credit. So when I do videos now, it's not technically – there's a couple key players. The fishermen themselves, we have to look through our eyes on all the things that we're in control of. And that's everything from mechanics of how many inches your reel brings in, the di diameter of your line, the load of your rod, your feet positioning – sundialing yourself on shadows understanding everything above water technically and then when you go underwater being able to, to transition and see through the eyes of the fish and that's where a lot of people fail at and if you look through the eyes of the fish and try to accomplish what they want to do all the things i did for fishing uphill and directional change and course change and shadow theories and you know all this stuff the the milk runs everything is trying to look through the eyes of the fish and now when i try to explain that you know i give credit to jones as i try to give everybody between a and z and when you do that and you could see that visually i hate videos nicholas <laughs> i hate watching fishing shows yeah where people just go down the shoreline and then they catch a fish and then they give some BS thing like, oh, I just caught a fish and I'm laughing and I'm like going, you guys are idiots because I could watch you and tell you what you're doing. And the gold is when you got a hit and you set the hook and you look back at the camera and you go, oh, dude, I just got hit. I'm laughing and going, he's going to get cracked because he's going to turn around, which he just created a directional change because he's using a boot tail swim bait and it flared in the water and the fish is choking it right now while he's looking at the camera acting all like he knows what's going on. And he starts winding back up. The line gets tight and goes, Oh, he came back and ate it. Well, the, the fucking fish already <laughs> ate it like seconds ago. And that's what I'm able 
and it doesn't happen all the time, you know, but I, I try to see things where I'm trying to paint a picture for people to give them a better look of through not just my eyes, but the fish's eyes. And if we could do that, it doesn't matter if you're throwing a, an eighth ounce fat fly or an eight inch BBZ swim bait or any, any other bait. There's only a handful of techniques, period. There's only five or six techniques that go within five or six different areas of the top, middle, bottom. Yeah. Yeah. There's a billion tools and the best guys out there, the one percenters can take a handful of tools that are multifunctional that can fish within the top, middle, bottom and do multiple techniques, which there's still only a few of them. And then look through the eyes of a fish and go, how does that fish want to eat? Not how I want to eat. You know, yeah. we're not hunters. We don't hunt big fish. It just it kills me when people say that. You <laughs> want to be the prey. You want to put yourself in a position for a big fish to kill you. And the guys who understand that will understand how to slow roll a swim bait across the bottom up into a funnel, into a rock, into a directional change because you didn't pull that bait up there. You actually had the fish maneuver its prey into a position for them to eat it. And it's just, it's just a whole different mindset. <clears throat> it's a whole different mindset across the board. And I try to explain it, but like I said, only a few people like, like a Derek Stewart. Yeah. That will, <laughs> that will go through it and come back and look at me and go have the aha. And he goes, you son of a bitch. <laughs> do he you, goes, do you like, feel like yeah. now with the bro, the BBZ, um, did you have involvement designing that? Were you prototyping it? Everything. Yeah. And like the, the story was, um, and that, you know, there was a lot of drama out there with the, the tool and everything else. And the one guy who he's not around that saw the whole thing go down was Mike Hart. He was actually in the boat when, uh, one of the first prototypes I drew up and carved, um, prototypes. So all the lures I do with Spro. Man, I'm a hundred. I'm I'm a hundred and ten percent behind it. And the story was the first one when I carved it, and I sent it back, and they did a prototype, and they re, redo it. And it's very hard to work between different companies, especially the U.S. and Japan, mm-hmm. and then U.S. Japan and China at the time. Is you'd send one thing, and then they'd redo it and put it on a, la- a lathe or something, and send it back, and it was completely different. You're looking at them like this is nothing compared <laughs> to what I just sent them. And uh, so the first prototype actually came back, and it was way too close to looking anything even close to what Rego's bait and everything was. And I went, bullshit. And Mike Hart goes, wow. And I go, nope. I go, it needs to be fatter. It needs to be this. It needs to change. And uh, recarved it, resent it back. And um, then I said, hey, we got to get away from wood because we had too many issues because I was doing wood plugs when I was a kid, mm-hmm. spraying Krylon paint on it, and then doing a two-part epoxy, and then – you know, your hook would hit it and the wood would swell and everything would blow apart on it. So we went to, uh, you know, plastics and made more of a production type of system. And, uh, yeah, and that was hands-on from start to finish with that. And it's the same thing with the fat fly. Um, then it went in the same thing with the four inch shad and the 2.5 and the crank and swims I did for Europe. And, um, even down to the rat, you know, it, it took two years. I hand carved a rat from start to finish at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, Spro didn't want the rat because they didn't like 
I didn't find. I found out later that a lot of Asian people, a lot, a lot of them, just don't like rats. They go, "Hey, build, build anything except that. Do a do a do a frog, do a duck, do a snake." And uh, all the research I did, I said, "Man, the rat is one of the number one forages across the world for everything from a wolf fish to peacock to ocean fish to freshwater." And um, came up with the design with the tail, did the body, and then. I said, now let's uh, let's do a one-two punch on it. The wood plugs. There's something about wood with the sound and the knock and semi durability, but with the plastic, I had drilled out the bait and shot in foam. And a lot of that knowledge came from way back in the day when I helped cast steak. Wow. When they were doing the injection, two parts, the head and the things. You know, they were they were dialing up injected foam heads that were about the same density as certain woods. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I ended up uh, drilling out the rats and um, injecting them with wood, you know, foam. And I got a wood consistency with the sound and density and everything else with the plastic shell. And, uh, man, the rest, I mean, they're probably one of the most durable baits out there. And it's still a decent price point that... I was hoping, I know a lot of people don't look at it that way, but that opens up all the doors for like the Johnny Rats and everybody else. You know, anybody that's throwing baits out there, a lot of that was opening up doors to try to get a price point down to a, to a small enough price point where it opened up more and more doors across the U.S. with other fishermen that didn't want to spend $200 on a custom bait. Now you give them the right tool and they get confidence in it, now they're more willing to spend 20 30 40 50 even 60 dollars on a bait from the independent guys and that's good for the industry that's good for everybody's business more i i feel that more people have sold more baits that are still in operation with swim baits and rats and you name it because we're opening up more doors across the u.s you know yeah a lot it of seems it seems like that's the ticket i mean when you go to first buy a swim bait, yeah, I didn't want to spend a lot, and I did buy the Spro, you know? And I bought, like, a Spro, and then I bought, like, an S-Waver, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and you, that was you the guys, thing. And yeah, that's a, that's a legit comment, you know, like a point right there. But a lot of people won't. They're just going to go, oh, he wasn't the first, or he stole this, or he did that. But it's that. not that you're the first. <laughs> it's not that you're the first. It's more of you kind of did the production thing. I try to. You know what I'm saying? What I wanted to do is, see, people don't understand. Like, I grew up, I don't want to say poor because we're rich on life. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I didn't, my dad and I had a 14-foot Valco. That was our boat. I mean, I was was the epitome of grassroots. Dad and I, we no way could afford a $60 to $300 wood plug. We're going to go out there and we're going to go break some table legs apart. (laughs) And we're going to build something the best we could because we just couldn't afford it. And guess what? It, it, it built a, a life and a legacy, you know, between me and my dad and everything else in memory. It's like it was something that people who don't know me understand now that's like I wanted to open up doors because I think there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that could still enjoy it that grew up like me with not a lot of money. But if you give people faith and you give them an opportunity to create that spark, to enjoy the industry, enjoy big bass fishing and everything else, you, somebody has to be able to take the blunt of it to at least open up some doors 
And I, I feel that hopefully that there's more anglers across the U.S. with swim baits now from S where you, you name it for whatever you want to call the swim baits mm-hmm. from Huddleston to Spro to you name it across every aspect of it. I think it's good for all of us because now there's just picture all the other kids and all the other people out there having a shot to use something that they could afford. And the cool thing about it is now I, I even watched, uh, I think it was Ellis or something. Mm-hmm. I remember him getting a couple swim baits. I think he's back in Pennsylvania or Massachusetts Man, these guys are whacking them on the rat, the BBZ rat. <laughs> the other day, I watched him on YouTube, and no, Facebook Live, and he's building his own rat. And I got on there, and I said, well, good job. <laughs> that, that inspired a guy, and I think he's going to sell some. I have no hard feeling. That's going to inspire a guy to go out there and build something where somebody else is going to enjoy his work on his dime. And, and like I said, if, if, if that one thing I look at, if I was able to at least open up the door for some kid or some parent or somebody across the U.S. to catch fish, plenty good. If it opens up the door, with a lot of these bait makers will never, ever, they don't have the basically the balls to say it, but unless somebody actually went out there and did it, they would not be selling as many swim baits across the U.S. Yeah. Because somebody had to go out there and said, enough is enough. I personally can't afford a $300 bait. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. I might be able to suck up maybe 20, you know, 20 bucks, and then I'll <laughs> give it a shot. And if it works, I might buy another one. And that's what I want to do. I want to literally a bait that I can throw for a decent amount of money. It might not be the best in the world in other people's eyes, but I wanted something I could use that I could afford. And that's what Spro was. That's so bitching about Spro when I was working with them, and I still do. Build the best baits you can. Everybody, all our pros, from Dean to Mike McClellan to uh, Cruz, myself, you put your hands on your bait. When you're happy, it'll come out, and we're going to give the best price point we can for something that's built the best it can. And that's you got to give a lot of credit for Spro. You know, they were able to knock down a bunch of doors um, to 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 get this thing going, and um, and then competition competition's good you know it's just part of what we do in the industry and i i mean even yourself too i mean when i was googling videos like years ago the first the first thing i I ordered on amazon was the flies and the bobber you closed me on that those videos are great you know so i mean that that, you and your your swim bait video you know with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. So you yeah. as well, I mean, put, putting a lot of time and effort into making those videos, it's, it's work. Um, 
What about your 1975? How did that, what did you catch it on? Where did you catch it? How did it all go down? Uh, Lower Lower Lake, crazy. Now I'm trying to remember all the crazy fish. (laughs) I luckily have caught a lot back in the day. Um, That was an optimum swim bait. And back in the day, between uh, Ronalski's and Worm Kings and all this other stuff, there's a thing guys used to do, and even some of the swim baits, we'd call them limos. And what happens is we didn't have a lot of molds and a lot of people didn't make it, but they're all like, hey, we should make a bigger bait. So I, that bait I had was, I think it was like a seven or eight inch um, optimum. And Sean gave me a few of them. And what I was doing is I was cutting segments and we'd cut them and Sean was showing me how to heat butter knives and we'd weld the sections together. So I had a custom like 12 inch optimum swim bait. And uh, I was going down the lower lake, and this is, like I said, a lot of this stuff was pre, pre-video, pre pre-a lot of the, the other stuff going on with what, other people. Um, what year was it at the time? Oh, I think it was 96. Okay. It was, it was a while ago. I'd have to go back in records to really look. And um, I remember going up to the hump um, down mid part of the lake towards the, the tower, and I marked two big fish off the outside hump. And it was interesting because there's a lot of mechanics. That was, yeah, I think it was about that time because I think that was with the uh, the Shimano and the Lamaglass rod um, I built so right in that time frame. And the 25-pound Max Ultra Green. So when you throw these baits out, there's, there's so much more in catching big fish. And there's so much into it for speed and the suspended animation and the 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 apex of the turn and directional change and course change there's so much more i mean i could talk literally freaking hours (laughs) but suspended fish are different big fish big big fish um are way different and when you can find that cadence that musical tempo for big fish if you and only few people have seen me do it and stuff, but certain times of year, even with the boot tail, if you know how to fish bait, most of my fish over 15 pounds, the speed and my drop and my, my turns, some of them are so slow. I swear to you, the tail doesn't even kick. It's a whole different thing of suspended animation and it follows under the line of the float and fly. So went out there and I threw out, I remember bringing in, and I got hit, and um, when I got I got thumped. So a lot of these big fish, you know, and I was never a proponent of they all ate it head first, which is bullcrap. <laughs> big fish eat whatever way they want to eat, especially northerns and stuff. A lot of them will come up, and they know trout, and they're soft, and they'll come up and suck them. You know, they'll get them in their mouth, tail first. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting hit, and. I know using that boot tail and directional change, when you get hit and you fl- you swing and you flare, you create directional change. And those baits with a low-pressure system on the bottom of the boot tail, you get lift. So you swing, and that bait usually comes up in the water column, and it'll turn left and right. And I remember swinging, boom, and I came up, and I missed. And I, I was like, man, you better, you better lock and load because when this thing stops to drop to do the flare – it's on like that. That's your thing. And I remember reeling back up again. And as I reeling back up my line, the coil of 25 pound ultra green, it 
mono is like hair when it absorbs water and dries it gets memory and there's there's a lot of just understanding how to read fishing line mm-hmm. and i was bringing up and the line was just getting taught and i literally saw looking at my line going in the water i saw my line do a little figure eight and the line started to coil a second and i went oh gosh so big fish man i swung on her and she came back and she she came up and she did a circle and as it came back down she was she was sucking in head first but when she sucked it in it loosened the coil of the line by just a hair and i was oh never felt anything nothing just the line started to coil i'm like oh she's on and i swung <laughs> and did the real set on her and rod stopped and i went crank 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 and i remember reaching down and grabbing the net and I put her in the net, and I go to lift her up. Literally happened within 30 seconds. Wow. And I go to pick her up, and I'm oh, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh. And then I had to turn the net, because if you try to lift up a big fish straight at a 90, the net will break. So I turn her sideways, and I grab the thing, and I lift her up, and I let in the boat, and I went, holy crap. That's a big fish. Wow. Like, that's, that's a tanker. So put in the live wheel, I came back up to the launch ramp, and Marty Wall was there. And Marty was uh, fishing game. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a Berkeley skill that was pretty damn accurate. I mean, really damn accurate. Because I used it for everything, but it, it measured in tenths, you know, the old Berkeley scales. Yeah. So, weighed it with Marty, and it went uh, uh, 19.8, which ends up being like 19.75. Yeah. Marty took, I, I sat there right at the launch ramp. Marky, Marty took the picture of me put the you know at the time i put the lure you know 12 inch optimum in its mouth took a picture of it let it go and marty goes you're going to report that and i said no and and the reason why and you know i have a few friends that asked me i loved big fish and i wanted to catch the world record i had stuff down with pat marley who was the attorney way back in the day with jones and stuff that i knew if i caught the world record you know, calling Johnny, Johnny Morris, having fishing game, had Marty Wall's information, getting the permits to transfer fish, have it. You know, I had a system that literally I'd make a million bucks on doing everything legit mm-hmm. across the board. And that was the deal. And I told him, I said, the difference is, is and this kind of he knew and the few friends I had, it was an ego thing. I said, if I went out there and I just try to really push this, first of all, I'd, I'd blow up Lower Lake Castake. Yeah, it would it would be destroyed because it's too small of a fishery. And I go, I've caught enough big fish. Does it? You know, I think at the time it maybe been top ten or something, but did it push the twenty pound class? Did it? Did it push that where it would have made a big difference with me, or would the hate club come out? <laughs> and you know do it and i decided right there i said you know what and you know duke Lowe's, you got to remember this is way back when duke Lowe said he caught a world record and you know he let it go up north in one of the lakes mm-hmm. um and and you saw the backlash that that guy had for his whatever reasons he had did behind. he not have any any uh documentation or anything duke Lowe's? yes i'm not familiar with it so no, uh, his whole thing was he had one that um, I think he had a bathroom scale come down or something. It was twenty something pounds. He uh, same same type of thing. And I talked to him something. And he was he was a religious guy, and he said, "Hey, you know, I've talked." And 
you know, God kind of spoke to me and said, hey, it's not worth it. Let it go. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did it. And I, he did a story way back in the day. And, man, people came out of the woodworks and just just crushed the dude, you know, yeah. just threw out the, the hate on him. So, you know, I was a, a student of the game and I, I learned a lot of that stuff. And I'm like going, hey, you know, they're, they're, a good friend of mine, Dennis, is always says, is the juice worth the squeeze? Right, right. You, you got <laughs> to be willing enough to say, hey, is it an ego thing or is it an enjoyable thing? What's your main goal? And my whole goal at the time was still catching a world record. Anything less of that was ego. And and I learned a lot because, you know, that's just the way I was raised with my dad and stuff that said, hey, if you if you always have to win and you have an ego, you're going to do whatever you have to do to win, which means you're going to cheat. You're going to do stuff that's wrong. Yeah. And I was just raised differently that I kept records. I caught big fish. I did the stuff, um, but I never pushed it to where. I was the guy, and I remember the biggest thing um, Jones asked me one time. He goes, "Hey, Bill, why don't you have why don't you have all these lake records?" And at the time, that would have been a lake record for the lower lake, mm-hmm. you know. Still might be, you know. And uh, and why don't you have a world record? And you know, you're using you're using live trout, you know, because I got questioned by a lot of people, yes. good friends, and I said, "Well, let me tell you one thing." You're going to first of all get in my boat because I've never had a lot of very, very many people in my boat. You're going to see me fish personally, and I'm going to prove this theories to you firsthand. So he saw how to figure eight fish and every, you know, all the stuff I was doing. And I looked at him and I said, "Now tell me if I actually did ever cheat, if if I ever had the the option to go pin live trout on back in the day in the '80s and '90s and 2000." at Casitas and Castaic and Paris, I would have had the world record. I felt that confident. That's the only thing I could never really mimic is a live trout. Yeah. I would have a I would have a world record, period. Yeah. I would have almost every lake record. It would have been a no like it's a no, it's a no brainer. I felt that confidence in my capability of, of swim baiting and if I had to use live bait, oh my gosh, it would be over with. So so you felt like you you hit the pinnacle of like what you could do with the bait yeah and i was okay. missing a lot because and this is it's it's not the pain you get it perfectly and here's what people don't understand and that's why fishing for all the weird stuff that i've seen physically and understand like weird like shadows theories that shadow tides <clears throat> top middle bottom all this weird stuff i am more of a firm believer that I don't know shit. <laughs> like, like, like <clears throat> there is so much more on different playing fields and levels. And it's, it's like trying to figure out a human being. Some people you can mess with them all day long and they're just ice cold and they can handle it. Some other people, you look at them weird cockeyed and they'll snap and they'll, they'll stick you in the head with an ice pick. Yeah. Fish are the same way. There's consistencies on how you feed and where you sleep. And everything else but like there is so much going on that i i do know that i'm learning every day and i'm always pushing that envelope to see better through the eyes of fish and i I just know that if i would have had the capability so now you're becoming my whole goal is to look through the eyes of a bass 
to make the bass accomplish what it's you know what it wants. It's creating the illusion of realism to create an you know the objective that the bass has accomplished his, his goals. In doing that, <clears throat> I'm not a hunter. I'm the prey. I'm using tools and techniques with my capabilities, trying to create the illusion that the fish is pushing a trout or a shad or a crawdad sculpin into key ambush areas where they're used to eating. The only thing I always missed is I never had the real thing tied on Mm -hmm. to see that. I mean, I watched it enough. I watched bass come up and pin trout up against the gate at Casitas and the trout would get pinned. Here comes the bass. The the trout would do a directional change, shoot up to the left or right. The bass would go up and and suck it in. And you're like, oh, so that's how I knew how to fish uphill and create directional change Mm -hmm. and do stuff because I watched him, but I never had a tool that did it by itself. Yeah. I never had it. That's and the tools I did have by myself were crawdads. And if you didn't under, you know, Crowder was the same thing. You drag I fish with some of the best guys. I fish with Harry the Hat. I fish with George. I did a lot myself fishing crawdads. That's why so many big fish were caught during that time frame. You know, there's thousands of fish over 10 pounds caught on crawdads. Yeah. Because it was live bait. And if you knew where to put the live bait in the areas where the fish were looking to feed, man, you're money. Yeah. So, so that's where the swim baits, where I'm still learning on swim baits. I, I still know, I feel I have, I'm more confidence in my skill set than most people, I think you'd say, because I, I've really paid attention. And, and now I look, like I said, I look through a different set of eyes that a lot of these people still won't do. They, you know, a lot of these, even big bass, bass fishermen, <clears throat> they're either looking through their competition's eyes or they're looking through their own eyes and they're missing the true key element in that. And that's the fish itself. And we had a great, Derek and I just came back from the classic and uh, we had a great conversation. And I know he looks at me sometimes like, boy, you're on something. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I tell them when I, when I'm out there fishing, even in tournaments and I concentrate, I end up talking more. Even my partner now, Ron, he's like looking at me, just shaking his head. (laughs) I say stuff, I see stuff, I feel stuff in a minute's time. If somebody's out there fishing a swim bait or fishing a drop shot or whatever bait, because remember it's not as much as the size, it's the techniques and the water column. So, uh, an eighth ounce fat fly. Mm-hmm. I've caught eighteen pound fish. I've caught, I've caught mult dozen fish over ten pounds with a crappie jig. The fly, the thing. fly technique is that something that you kind of put a package together with Spro with that too, correct? Right. Yeah, I did the fat fly with Spro, and here's the interesting thing: is the fat fly of understanding suspended animation, which is under a bobber. Mm-hmm. Or using it by itself and doing the slide or dragging across the bottom. Remember I said there's only a handful of techniques, right? Yes. Literally like five or six. So if you take a boot tail swim bait, a HUD, a jig, or an eighth-inch, eighth-ounce fat fly, and you throw it out there in 25 foot of water, and you crawl it up and over rocks on a point, the technique didn't change. The tool size from an eighth ounce crappie jig to an eight to 12 inch swim bait, the 
the the bait changed the size of the bait the the technique doesn't so i've caught with eight ounce crappie jigs or eight ounce fat fly just as big as fish with that as i have crawling you know a custom eight inch bbz across the bottom with top hooks See, it's, and that's what people keep forgetting. That's why these techniques are so universal across so many states is because people cannot really get out of their own way to think a little different of I'm dragging a bait across the bottom. doesn't matter what it is. If you know the angle and you know the shadow line and you know the funnels and you know how big feet fish eat and want to eat. When you say you, fun, what do you mean by funnels when you say funnels? So <clears throat> I do this every day, 24-7. Fish, it, it, and I don't know if you've ever boxed or anything else, but how does a, a – have you ever boxed? No, no, I have not. Okay. How do you box? How do you take, take care of your, your competition? Put them in a corner, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to beat the crap out of them? <laughs> yeah. Never get in the corner. A corner is a funnel. You got the middle of the stage, and it gets pinned into a corner. We're lucky because we have hands with gloves and we can just keep pummeling. Bass don't. They have pressure systems, which is their their mass that pushes stuff. Their visual sight, what people see, you know, the, the, the prey see and stuff. And they have their mouth. That's their hands. So anytime you could create a funnel is a, is a compression point. And everything's three-dimensional. So it doesn't matter if you're bringing it from the bot, You're fishing offshore. You're throwing out to deep. The top of the surface... Air is a hard surface, the air itself. The bottom, the ground, is hard itself. The sides, left and right, could be a shadow. It could be a mud line. It could be a dock. It could be anything. But as you bring it up into the shoreline in the shallows, you create a funnel, you, you a compression point. Mm-hmm. And when a fish, a bait fish, gets to a certain point, even if it's right on the bank, there's the old crap moment, which they and they feel the danger coming in on them. Then they're going to go, oh, we got to do fight or flight. And they do the left, right, Bob trying to get the hell out of the way. And that creates the reactionary crush, you know, crush, kill, eat thing. It just, it's, it's part of how it works. So when I talk about funnels, you could create a funnel on a three dimensional plane in any aspect if you understand what it is. Mm-hmm. A funnel bringing up a pendulum, a swim bait through the water column up into your boat. You're compressing the surface, the bottom of your boat, the rod tip might be in the front corner of your trolling motor or the back by your big motor. You can create a funnel, and a lot of people, and you probably heard it with if guys are talking swim baits with you, mm-hmm. a lot of them catch fish right at the rod tip as you're bringing up out of the water. Yeah. It's the same thing as why you figure eight for big muskies because you created a fo- funnel on the side of your boat and you go back and forth. You have a pinning place. Now, you can turn around and do it offshore and use that. Boom. You can go down a bluff wall with the sun, with a plane of a click, Dick, and the sun is compressing. So at one side of the wall that you're fishing, the shadow is 15 feet to the left and right of you. And as you look down the bank or the wall, that shadow itself compresses. It might be 100 feet underneath your boat. Mm-hmm. But as that shadow compresses and as it compresses into that little rock outcropping or the, the one stick or bush hanging off that wall – you have the wall as a hard spot. That's one side of the funnel, and you have the shadow, and that shadow compresses things, even though you might be in 100 foot of water on one side of it. 
But if you could parallel and bring that bait, Spider-Man it, which you've probably seen on the the videos I've done. Yeah. And you Spider-Man that bait into those little rock pockets and their shadows on the left turn. That's a funnel. And that's why I said you, I just see things completely different in three dimensional modes, top, bottom, left, right, cross diagonal, and then understanding true hard surfaces and shadow surfaces, which is just as hard. So understanding that doesn't matter where you're at in the water column, you can create funnels in 50 foot of water just as easy as you can in five inches of water. Yeah, that's a great point. Amazing point. So, so you're going down the bank and you're using a little ants and you got your side graph on it mm-hmm. and you're doing side scanning. So shadows, hard, all that stuff counts, but you're going down and on the right-hand side, you're looking out 50 feet from your boat and you see a cage at Havasu, okay? Mm-hmm. Well, the, the electronics itself is going to create a fake shadow. Because it's gonna the the transducer itself is a fake sun. It's creating that shadow for you. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at hard structure surface, and you're going, oh, there's a cage down there in 25 foot of water. You're looking at sunny. Now you look up in the sky, and on the right hand side of you, in your face, when you're looking that way, that's where the sun's at, the real sun. So anglers, the difference between a guy catching some fish. And some guys who throw swim baits in under the one percenters, they're going to use the fake sun as a starting point. They go, oh, I know where the cage is now. So now I have hard structure. But now I know where the real sun's at. So when I come back around, I'm going to go into the sun, come back around this cage because the shadow is on the opposite side of what I visually see. Because now you got to really see underwater. And I know those bass are going to be on the shady side of that position this way in this corner. Now, when I drag the swim bait jig fat fly up to this corner, I'm going to create a true funnel, which is hard structure, the mm-hmm. cage, and hard shadows, which is the shadow line. And I do a compression thing in 25 foot of water and slice that edge and it goes thunk. And that's where you catch your six pound smallie at Havasu. Wow. And because you're not dragging, see if you fish the opposite way, uh-huh. they would throw a swim bait out over the cage the shadows on the backside and you're bringing it up and now you get fish following your bait because they don't want to eat in open water. A lot of times now you get follows and now you go, okay, now I got to try to get them to commit against the funnel against my boat, but the water's too clear. I made too big of a movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did something wrong because I'm looking through my eyes, not the fish's eyes. And now you pulled them off of the structure. So, but you see them. Yeah. So, yeah. For, so you kind of screw me, yourself right there. Like, yeah. Yeah. For me, I'm going, okay, now i got to reposition the fish and just reposition. So I pull the fish out, six, seven-pounder at Havasu or Castake or Pyramid or Paris. Go, ooh, that fish was interested, but I just pulled it away from its true funnel where it wants to eat. Now I take the trolling motor and I haul ass and I go back behind this cage where I should have been in the first place with the one-cast concept. Throw back out in the open water where that fish should still be sitting underneath my boat where it was at. 30 seconds earlier, throw the swim bait out, let it pendulum down, let it go back down into where that fish, that fish is going to retract it. Now it's going to push that, that bait. The fish is actually pushing the bait back into the true funnel. Your line gets tight. You do boom, you do a directional change. Boom. Now you catch a six or seven pounder that literally a minute and a half earlier that you pulled off the cage because you fucked up on your first approach. Yeah. I see stuff completely different. And it's not just, 
I've, I've showed it in the DVD I did with Spro. Yeah. Like how to reposition fish that you reposition. There's so much going on under the water. Do you Everything take a, we're making do you take out a there, lot the tool, of notes too? Will you go take notes when you're fishing and, you know, to compile all this when you're talking about it, it seems like you've really just done a lot of research, but is it all in your head or do you write it down? Um, I suck at writing and I, I would say, um, I would say this much it's sad. Like I know I'm, it's kind of like rain man. Like <laughs> I, it's bad to say that. I, I, I had a couple buddies way back in the day said, you're a, um, idiot savant bill. And I go, what? <laughs> I, I didn't even know what that meant. And yeah. what I thought was like, well, 99% of the time you're just an idiot. And then that 1%, you're friggin' genius. <laughs> um, so a lot of the stuff is so locked into my memory, and I practice in anything. When you're driving down the street, when you see a bird over your head and you see the shadow on the ground, when I wake up in the morning and I have a cup of coffee and you sit outside and you see a red robin go down your, your, your sidewalk and it stops and it looks in the crack of the seam of the concrete and it pecks a worm out, if you can't realize that that bird itself is no different than a bass that looked into a funnel where yeah. something's trapped and it pecks a worm out of a crack of the sidewalk in the morning, that's exactly what big bass do Yeah, on a three-dimensional plane because everything you see out there in life from a bird to a snake to a deer and all that, there's, there's these layers of onions. There's these layers that – it's all the same and practice makes perfect. No perfect practice makes perfect. So if yeah. I, I look at things perfectly through the eyes of everything, it's, you know, I, sometimes I have to look through the eyes of the fishermen to kick their ass in tournaments. <laughs> I look through, I don't pay attention to a lot of people, but I pay attention to movement. So there's many a times I've been at Cast Ake and Casitas and stuff where I see a guy throw a swim bait out on a hold out high, far, throw up to the bank. I go, he's not fishing uphill, idiot. <laughs> All of a sudden you, you see him bringing it out and then him, you see the body movement. They're going, ooh, 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 and they look like a little, you know, like a bug's up their butt. And then they point and then they show their buddy and they, oh, and they throw four or five more times. And I tell myself when I was fishing by myself from my partner, I said, get ready. And I go, why? I go, they just pulled a big fish out. They just their movement just gave away the whole story. When they're going to throw three more times and not see shit, and they're going to leave, and that fish is sitting underneath their boat. And I said we're going to come back in and get right on the bank and throw out where their boat is and bring that fish right back into where it wants to eat. I have won and caught so many big fish doing that because I I don't pay attention to fishermen per se, but movement. They gave they gave the story away, and I've went behind them and kicked their ass. Yeah, you know, or I've destroyed places in in three casts. A uh, perfect one. I was fishing a buddy of mine, Dennis, up at Kachuma back way back in the day, and Mike Brakebill and Chris Rodino were on a point across Milan Tramp, and they, I mean, <clears throat> it was they were on the best spot, and I came in early and I threw out, I caught a couple big fish, and on a swim bait on an, an old boot tail and um i saw them tying on they're like oh crap swim bait bites on and they're they're retying right there and i'm like uh-oh this is bad i told dennis i said i gotta kill the spot because i said they're on the best spot 
They're literally, <laughs> they can win right there. I got to kill the spot. And he goes, how are you going to do that? And I went out in a hundred foot of water. I threw five times. I put a big bait on and I threw five times in the shallows and brought it out to hundred foot water. And I said, this bite will be dead for a good hour or two. And we left and we came back towards the end when they were, they were first flight and they're going in. And, um, I repositioned on the thing and it was the funniest thing is I'm watching them and I'm, I'm doing an uphill 45 degree angle up in the flat. Boom. I catch two more fish. We need one more to win the tournament and Rodino and Chris, uh, or break bill turn around and I see them scram. They'd cut their big baits off because <laughs> they never got a hit and they're tying. I'm like, Oh crap. Oh crap. I'm telling Dennis, I'm like, this is bad. This is bad. And then what I go, they're throwing now they're throwing like madmen. They're throwing they're they're cutting the whole place up like a pie. But there's only one angle that would have brought an uphill funnel up into the corner of their boat. Yeah. And it was probably their fifteenth or twentieth cast. And Brake Bill threw out right towards us. So he had the right perfect line. And I remember turning around looking at Dennis and I go, That's he's gonna get bit. That's the only angle he can get bit. And he turned around right before he was bringing it up. He turned around, was looking at Chris. It was like, and, uh, and I could hear him. And all of a sudden he watched his rod get hit and he missed the fish oh, because, shit. He, because when he turned around, he created a directional change. The bait dropped. It went down. It was perfect. Everything was done. He missed the fish. They had a reel in. They were late. You know, they're running over to get their to weigh in. We were second flight. I went around the backside of where they're at. I threw out. We stuck the fish and had 25-something pounder on the tournament, caught, oh. caught his fish. Now, in saying that story, like, I could tell you verbatim where we set the angles, who did what, who did why. But it's more because I really try to pay the attention of what the fish were seeing. And I remember Dennis on the way home just looking at me. He goes, I cannot believe, like, you were able to kill a spot and in big bass fishing and big baits. Most of these guys out there that are just chunking and whining, I crack. Like, the reason why you don't see a lot of the big fish coming in a lot anymore is there's a lot of people out there that are just, they're brain dead. They're just fishing, and they're pulling all these fish off in open water. They're repositioning them, and they're, they're literally killing their own bites. And the guys that come behind them that are good at swim bait fishing, you're not seeing half the numbers coming in anymore. Because even when they do that perfect cast down that bank right behind you, the fish are already off in a whole different zone. Yeah. So there is so much more going on that literally 99% of these people just, they're, they just don't get, they're not seeing it, you know? And so it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. You can be your own worst enemy. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> uh, yeah. You've made a great point of it. I mean, um, what a great podcast. I appreciate you coming on, Bill. We've, we've gone for a long time, an hour and a half. You know, I, no, I, that's fine. Yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm down, I, man. And, like I said, Derek said, Derek said you might ask me like really hard questions. And I have, I haven't got one yet. No, I just like to have a comp. <laughs> like I, like I said, I like, it's like if I met you on the street and we started talking fishing and I know a little bit about you. So I ask you a couple questions here uh -oh. and there, but, um, I stopped. Oh, there you are. I was like, I didn't hear you. I was like, Oh, uh -huh. you just hung up on me. No, He's like, no. I'm done with you. Boom. But, um, Thank you for coming on. Uh, let's do another one soon. You you really made this enjoyable for me because I'm I'm not a big phone call guy, but you know I, I felt very personable having you on. And uh, can you plug anything you need to like your uh, the tournament series, uh, your baits, pages, stuff like that? 
Yeah, the, the big thing is, like I said, I'm always giving a big shout-out to all my sponsors. You know, Spro's one of the big ones, and Mercury, and Basscat, and Motor Guide, and Lawrence. But the big thing is what I'm trying to do um, is trying to give back to the industry. And about a year ago or so, I wanted to give back to the kids because they're our future, and it's a lot of hard work. So I put together the Big Bass Zone Junior Championship, and it's a teen event. So it's for teens, 13 to 19. Um, I've, I was able to break down a lot of barriers, uh, with sponsors and a lot of things in the industry. It's really tough. It's still like a gang mentality. If you don't throw, if you don't throw the BBZ, um, you know, we hate you. If you don't throw <laughs> this lure, we hate you. You can't promote this product without that product. Yeah. So I was able to get a bunch of uh, sponsors together to support it. I have a tournament right now. So if you know any, any teens out there, especially in California, I mean, we should be representing really good, mm-hmm. but 13 to 19, $25 entry fee. Um, it's presented by Bassmasters. So this is a legit tournament. Uh, we have Bassmaster live weigh in last year. The tournament's in October up in Idaho. Um, for the 25 bucks, like I said, you get a year subscription of the magazine. So you're in the tournament basically for free. And this goes hand in hand. What, I like in what you're talking about is swim baits Mm -hmm. or big. It's a big fish tournament. The kids can go out fish 24 seven from now till August 1st. As long as it's somewhere legal to fish, it doesn't matter if they're using a crawdad or a big swim bait. Um, They take three photos. It's a social media online tournament. So it doesn't matter if they're fishing a regular tournament and they catch it pre-fishing during the tournament or just fun fishing. And they take a length and girth photo and one selfie, and they submit it right on the website. And the website is thebbzworld.com. And I have a leaderboard up there. And uh, Hunter Canyon right now is leading California with a seven-pounder. Wow. And at the end of the year, in August, um, I have over 30 sponsors uh, for the U.S. right now that have done state sponsorships. So the angler out of every state, I'm going to call the parents that want to go to Idaho and they're going to get a check sent to them for $1,200 cash for travel expenses. So $104,000 right off the bat, I'm going to be the first one to really take care of the parents for their struggle and what they do to sacrifice for the kids in, in club events and fishing. Uh, rooms are paid for up in Idaho. We're going to build, be at uh, Angler's Inn International, the Willows Club by Billy Chapman, mm-hmm. who has Lake El Salto and the Amazon. He partnered up. And uh, rooms are paid for for two nights. All the food's paid for. We have a volunteer boats, all the boats up there. And it's a hardcore, you know, uh, two kids per boat, um, eight-hour tournament, one fish tournament. You go out there and you swing for the fence. The biggest fish uh, right now, we have a $30,000 bass cat boat uh, worth uh, – with that, we have a $25,000 mystery weight option. St. Croix jumped on board. Friday night, uh, they're going to get rods from uh, St. Croix if they catch the fish on it that wins. It's another thousand bucks cash. Oh my God. Bass Cat's going to give uh, Life Fest to all the kids. Last year, I gave over 30000 away to the state qualifiers. We had um, 46 um, out of 44 states. Um, and then we gave over 370000 away last year. It's going to be over 400 this year. And every kid that uh, fishes a tournament, they're going to walk up and actually pick their prizes. There's so much, Nicholas, on this that's given back. And like I said, if all these clubs that we have, um, because a lot of them are being canceled because of the COVID-19 right now in California, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of lakes that are still open that they're allowed to still go fish at, like Castake. 
like I said, for 25 bucks, these kids could still fish in the national tournament, represent all of California. Uh, last year, we had uh, Jed Dickerson Jr. Mm-hmm. He dropped the hammer with a 14-pounder, and he came up to Idaho and have a black. He's on the, the TV show. You know, I did a fishing show with uh, Billy Linder, yeah. and it's on the website, so you can watch the fishing show I produced uh, last year. And um, he caught a 14, and like I said, and we take all first-place anglers. If first can't go, we take second. And then after we got all those confirmed, uh, we put all the second-place anglers in the 49 states in a pot. And Bassmasters and Chapman are going to draw two more anglers out of that. So oh, cool, we got yeah. we got something that's completely crazy and cool for the youth. And I'm giving back probably more than a lot of these kids will ever see in a local tournament. Heck, I, be, I had parents that fish tournaments came up to it and said they've never seen that much given away. You know, a lot of a lot of guys don't fish uh, get to fish for boats anymore. Yeah, and, and I I I mean that sounds great. Like my son is usually busy. He plays a drum line and, and he's got into fishing more. And he's he's fifteen, so I'm like, wow, oh I'll, my, I'll put him in that man. You know, you, oh my gosh, you yeah. need to. And that's the biggest thing is this is good for the family. It's good for the sport. And like I said, there's so many opportunities for even first place, second place to go. Um, if your son goes out there and whacks a big fish from now to August and he enters and we call you up and say, Hey, he's in first place. Do you want to go? I'm going to go with hey, Nicholas. <laughs> Do you guys want to go to Idaho? Two nights rooms taken care of the foods, taking care of the boats there. And we're going to send you a check on behalf of uh, California right now. Yeah. Al Davis, who is the chief of police in mammoth, California mm-hmm. just picked up California. So he paid the 2000 bucks. Wow. He has it covered. So you'll have a check on behalf of the chief of police of Mammoth sent to you for 1200 cash for plane, train, or automobile. So it's all pretty much an all-expense-paid trip for you and your son to Idaho with the lenders filming it, with Basscat there, with the Bassmaster Live weigh-in that we had over 100,000 views last year. People tuned into that fishing out going out fishing a, a one fish room where you just go out there and if he, he was uh 591 last year from jersey he, he got a he got a truck he drove out he won the boat he went back and now he's doing he's 17 years old and he's getting ready to do his first pilot show for uh, netflix wow all because of this tournament do you and it's 25 to enter the tournament <laughs> 25 to enter you get a year subscription of bassmaster magazine wow, they're presenting that's great it. that's great but, I, that's a great deal it, it, it is phenomenal. And then a lot of the parents, um, they're like, hey, we travel. Like, we go on vacation. So I said, hey, for what I'm doing, instead of doing all this, like, nickel and diamond people, mm-hmm. for an extra 25 bucks, so for $50, you can fish the entire U.S. And wow. everybody's like, you're kidding me. <laughs> so I have parents that said later on this year they're going to Hawaii. We're going to have somebody qualify from Hawaii because there's bass there on the main island. Oh, yeah. Um, would California. Peacock, would Peacock Bass count or no? What's that? Would peacock bass count because they have peacocks over there, right? Yeah, not peacock. It's a large mouth, small mouth, or spotted bass. Yeah, but but Hunter Canyon last year, cricket, fifteen year old girl from Florida. Her mom flew her to Utah because it was open. Mm-hmm. She went to Utah and she came up. She took fifth place last year at the uh, the Idaho. But wow. can uh, Canyon went to Utah already, caught a fish, a pound and a half. He's leading Utah. He came. He's leading California. And I think this next week he's heading over to Havasu to go catch one. And so he wants to, he's going to try to lead as many states as he can to qualify because this tournament is that crazy. 
It's, wow. it's, we had kids say it was like a Bassmaster Classic for the youth. It literally was, it's mind boggling. So, um, the, and the big thing, what I, and here's the reason why, Nick, this, this is the craziest thing. Right now for high school, like bass fishing is one of the biggest sports in the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. They have over 60,000 anglers right now um, competing between BASS, NFLW, and TBF, right? The problem is, like kids like maybe like your son, there's 4 million kids from the age of like 13 to 17 that their parents can't afford a bass boat. Yeah. They want to compete. The industry itself have, has left behind all these kids and these families because they don't have money. And it pisses me off. Yeah. I was like, that's not fair. I know, I know a lot of kids would love to go compete. Go up against the big guys, you know, the kids in the schools that are fishing the clubs and have the $60,000 boat. Well, basically, it's, mine's like the Big Bass Owned Junior Championship Pond Hopper Association. <laughs> you still, you're, you're, you're a member of Bass. You can go fish local ponds. Um, some kids in Alabama, they're like your son. He probably has four or five buddies that love to fish with them. Yeah. They're, they're putting their own team together. They go, Bill, we don't need... We don't need to have boats. We could actually put our own team together. So these kids back east right now are literally going fishing their own ponds, doing their social distancing. They're going head to head to each other, and they're all in it. And they're saying, "Whoever wins, we're gonna, you know, we're lifting you up on the shoulder because you're gonna represent the entire state of Alabama, the yeah. entire state of Oklahoma, the entire t- state of California." We could literally. It would be cool to get thirty kids that are pond hoppers qualify for california lift him up and have a shot first place right now it's up to fifty six thousand bucks for first wow with a guaranteed thirty thousand dollar bass cat boat that's great so um where yeah. can uh where can you uh do you have social media do you have an instagram and a facebook um i have facebook so it's on bill simantel's big bass zone junior championship okay uh, and then the the website the bbzworld.com go on there like i said watch the watch the tv show see what and i did something cool too is i went behind the scene with 25 parents and a few of these kids are on the fishing show and it's and it talks about the struggle like fishing and what they've gone through and you know austin going through lyme disease and i i try to do something a little bit different than most it's more of this is more about family you know it's just not just about the kids it's about the parents and everybody yeah um it's a big deal and like i said if i get support on it you know you never know there might be one for the adults the next year but um i tell you what for for the entry on what they're doing there's nothing else out there like it and the kids like your son you might like said they might have a half a dozen kids that are sitting on the sideline because the clubs at the school will not talk to them because they don't have a boat yeah and that's not fair yeah and that's what i'm trying to do it's it's I spent a year and four months, about 20 hours a day. No kidding. I haven't fished that much to try to do something to really give back. And it's out there for them. Like I said, I would love, love to see some some anglers like that going out there and go, man, let's let's go put it. Whoever wins, let's put them up on our shoulder and, and represent. And uh, you never know. It's like your son literally could come back driving down from Idaho with a brand new $30,000 bass cat and go, okay. Now you can yeah. fish in a bigger club. Now, you know, that's a stepping stone. Yeah, it's I'm great, man. Like I, 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 date with a drug. Yeah. Um, again, thanks, Bill, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll promote this, too. Once it's out, I'll let you know. And uh, hopefully we could do another one of these soon. You know, you have a lot of knowledge, and I think uh, 
it's great stuff what you're doing. So no, I really appreciate that. And like I said, anything, I don't mind people asking history and all that other stuff. I'm really, I, I don't have a lot of people ever talk to me. Mm-hmm. Like, so I'm pretty transparent. I kind of tell it how it is. And, um, it's good. It's good for the industry. And it's, it's a good time right now where we're all sitting here reflecting, you know, being homebound for most of us. Yeah. It's a uh, time to think back on, uh, I, I'm always trying to sit back and think of that if, if I've done something right and I've tried to make a, a positive impact on somebody's life. Yeah. I'm not looking to change the whole world, but if I can maybe help one person to have a better, better life, maybe, you know, that's what we all need to do. You know, try to go reach out to one person and help them. Maybe it'll be a, a, a better thing, you know, for the industry and maybe we'll sleep better at night too. Yeah. Just never know. Yeah, well, thanks again, Bill. I appreciate it, and I'll uh, keep in touch for sure, man. All right, you take care. All right, take care. Bye.